Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Hello, fellow Lukeites. Um, Today we're looking at this story for just a few minutes. And um, it's an interesting one. Jesus is the only boyhood story we have of Jesus. And because you think like our premise is what would what would it be like if God became a man? Well, what would it be like if God became a boy? I mean, we know we already talked about how he became a baby. And excuse me. And um, if he became a baby and he became a man, then he must have become a boy. So um, what was that like? We're not told. We know almost nothing about his childhood which actually tells us something, that for the most part, it was unremarkable, uh, which I think is the point. Um, We can assume that whatever age he was, when he was five or seven or nine, in this case, 12, that he was perfect for that age. Um, But there was nothing about him that stood out except this incident at the temple which Mary treasured up in her heart, as we see. That's repeated a couple times here by Luke. When he was a baby, things, she treasured things up in her, in her heart. Um, and, uh, and here. But that didn't, you know, the fact that we have no miracles recorded, no power, no special things happening, didn't stop people from making things up. There was this group of... Um, Teachers, I guess, writers, etc. Not in the first century, which is when these events are taking place, but well into the second century. So, you know, a hundred years after Jesus is gone, um, and all the writers of the New Testament are gone. These guys called Gnostics, which I'm not going to get into all of them today, but um, they they had writings and stuff, and their teachings were basically that you know <clears throat> matter was evil, and you know you. That Jesus didn't become a real physical person because God could never do that because that's gross and physical matters bad and only spiritual stuff is good and, and then they were enlightened and all of this stuff. So, but the, one of them, there was one 
uh, the Gospel of Thomas, which was not written by the Thomas of the New Testament, which, like I said, it was much later, was one of these Gnostic Gospels, and it's, it's about the child. A lot of it is about the childhood of Jesus, the ages 5 to 12, because we don't know anything and we can't have that. So um, they could not abide that the truth that Jesus had a normal, pedestrian, boring childhood that just... The, the, that would drive the Gnostics crazy. So they do like their stories written in here. Like the, he he fashioned when he was a kid, he would fashion birds from clay, and he would breathe life into them. You know, so he'd have somebody to play with, I guess, because they think that's what God would do as a boy. The Gnostics again, the Gnostics think that normal physical things are evil or unspiritual. They're they're not important, and of course they are wrong. They are one hundred eighty degrees wrong separating spiritual from physical like that. Um, and another story, a boy bumps into him or something, uh, and you can't do that to God, so Jesus curses him and he dies. Well, the boy's parents complain, so Jesus strikes them blind because you can't complain to God, right? <laughs> you know, he's too other, and we can't have God, you know, being normal. <clears throat> but... Oh, another time he resurrects a friend who falls from a roof because God only helps his friends, I guess. He stretches a beam of wood so Joseph would have enough to finish a bed because, hey, why not? That's what God would do. But none of this is true. None of this is biblical. And none of it ever happened. Uh, they are trying to make something extraordinary out of something that is meant to be ordinary. Uh, the point of the creator becoming a boy was so he could live as an ordinary boy, not as Harry Potter. The very ordinariness of his childhood is what's so amazing. He didn't float or glow or travel to other realms. It was tedium and fun and work and learning and memorizing and everything else every kid goes through. Uh, this whole scene, this whole trip is what any child growing up in a devout family in Galilee would experience every year except this temple scene that, that Luke is focusing on. But the trip itself, you know, the caravan, them losing sight of a boy who you assume is running around with the relatives and friends, just like any other boy at the time. You know, family, we think of family as just nuclear family today, mom, dad, kids, but that's not what family is, and that's not what family was back then. It's family extended all these cousins and neighbors and everybody running around together and um, traveling together and stuff. Caravan, it was a caravan of families together making one big family and you just grew up in that atmosphere outside you know <clears throat> and there were no lawyers running around <laughs> i guess i don't know but um you didn't worry about him he was apparently a pretty well-behaved kid so you weren't constantly checking on him worrying about him he's he was uh 12 but he's gone you know and this they searched for him three days i think what that I assume what that means is they, they travel a day out, realize they can't find him. They travel a day back. That's two days. They spend a day in Jerusalem wandering the city looking for him. Um, but he's gone, you know, three days. And their reaction is perfectly normal. Fear and anger, right? That's what I, I lost a kid in a shopping mall one time. She was little. She was only, you know, I don't know, four or five, maybe six. I don't even remember. Five, maybe something like that. But anyway, I was... It was only for less than 10 minutes, maybe. But I was freaking out. 
uh, we were, you know, some nice lady helped her and they got a hold of us. And um, so that was Emma, by the way, if you know Emma, Emma wandered off in a shopping mall. So uh, we almost lost Emma, <laughs> but it's, it was terrifying. And I can, I can relate to a certain point, like Mary and Joseph here would be scared. You know, um, God gave us the Messiah to watch and we lost him. That'd be pretty, what are we going to tell God? You know, that'd be pretty freaky. So <clears throat> they, they, anyway, they do find him, obviously. Um, but they're, they're, my point is their response of fear and, and anger. I would be angry, kind of like, what are you doing? Oh, you know, it doesn't say she was angry, but come on. And the, the, the difference between fear and anger is not much. But it's a normal parental response. But his response is also normal for him. He's like, where else would I be? Like, why would you waste time wandering over the city of Jerusalem thinking I would be in some relative's house or somewhere else when I would be here? You know who I am. You know where I came from. Um, and these are the first recorded words of Jesus, right? As a, as a you know. First thing he says in Luke, and this is the earliest recorded words of him, because it's, he's only 12, um, and I, which is why I think Luke is recording this incident. They're significant. And it shows that at least by 12, he knew who he was. He said, my father's house, and no one had ever called it that. No prophet, no king, uh, not Moses, not David, not Solomon, not Isaiah. Isaiah, who saw God high and lifted up in the temple, you know, in the train that was filled the temple, et cetera, in Isaiah 6. None of them ever called it my father's house. They didn't refer to God that way. Then his 12-year-old is there grilling and being grilled by the theologians of the day, not for the last time, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And he refers to the whole structure as my father's house. Father. It's significant here. Why? Because he, he, Jesus refers to God this way. It's his most common way to refer to God hundreds of times. And he never says our father, except once when he's teaching us how to pray. We're familiar with it. We even Some churches even call it the our father. Like our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, etc. Right? So when he's teaching somebody else how to pray, yeah, here's what you say. You say our father. But every other time he always says my father. Um, and he corrects Mary here because Mary says your father and I were worried. Right? We were looking for you. And he says, he doesn't say Joseph's not my father, but he says, he basically says that by saying, didn't you know I'd have to be in my father's house? My father wasn't looking for me, Mary. My father knew where I was. He's right here with me. Um, and then he continued to grow. The way the passage ends, you know, that he continued to grow uh, in stature, in, with, in, in uh, favor or grace with God and man. And he submitted it. it. He submitted to them. He continued in submission to Mary and Joseph. And you say, well, what would God do if God became a boy? Well, he would submit to his parents, apparently. That's what he would do. I mean, his whole life was an act of submission, obviously, in a way, submitting to, the, to his heavenly father in all things. <clears throat> but here, he is becoming, age 12, you're becoming a son of the law back then, right? Today you have a thing called bar mitzvah at 13, but this was not, they didn't have bar mitzvahs back then. But this, you turn 12, you're becoming responsible in a way that you were not at 10 or 9. Um, you become what's called a son of the law or a son of the commandments. And the fifth commandment, 
is to honor your parents. So that's what God would do. And it must have not been easy to submit to parents who could never be your equal intellectually, um, uh, who would choose things for you that you might not choose for yourself, parents who are fallible. But that's what he did. Imagine God carrying Joseph's tools, cleaning up the job site, being told to do chores. That's what he did. Normal, boring, in, in many ways probably tedious childhood. And imagine God growing up in obscurity, which is what Nazareth was. God grows up in obscurity. Yet the quiet village life, I think, would suit him well. Uh, it's simple. It's outdoors, right? A lot of time outdoors. Well, this is a lot of stuff we can't relate to anymore today, but this is how this is what God chose. Um, and, it, and it shows because later on in his parables and his teachings, all of them are filled with things like animals, work, uh, children, money and wages, earning wages, uh, nature, fishing, etc. He's always talking about these things. And I like to imagine, like, look, growing up in Nazareth, uh, him doing what we see him do in the Gospels over and over again, and that is slipping away to pray, slipping away to pray quietly, by, alone by himself with his father, his father, the father he came to present to us as a father. That's all for today. I think um, we'll pick it up here next time. Thank you for listening. See you guys.